You have to watch it. It's so good. At one point, Lars, Lars's dad, and the band's therapist all goes on a hike together. It's wild. Hey guys, welcome to In Defense of the Genre podcast. Uh, you can find us on Twitter at IDOTG podcast, and we're doing another episode today. And today is Jesus of Suburbia by Green Day. And I'm joined again by... Alana, and I'm a Green Day super fan, so I'm extremely excited to do this. Uh, Alana wore red shorts and a matching color, like to match the Green Day American Idiot shirt that she's wearing right now. So she's ready. I am, I am and was always very aesthetically influenced by the color scheme of this album to this day. <laughs> so I feel like if you're going to record a podcast about American Idiot, you should wear one of your two American Idiot t-shirts that you own. So Is that's the other one, one the same? No, the other one's different. It's okay. just from the same time period. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I guess the first thing I want to talk about is because this podcast, we talk about things that are called emo music or have been called emo music. And, uh... I guess Green Day wouldn't have been a band I would have thought to do right away or even like thought of as an emo band. But I guess really when you look at this album in particular, like it's hard to call this like a punk album and it's like definitely like kind of the aesthetic they had and kind of the look they had. They definitely got like Boulevard of Broken Dreams was to definitely be like a song that came up on the related videos if you were watching like My Chemical Romance or something. It was very much Green Day, although at this point in time, they'd already been a band for 20 years. They were lumped in with bands that were up and coming at the time of the heyday of early 2000s emo. So this punk band that had been around already for so long and had already this huge commercial commercial success in the early 90s got lumped in with these younger bands like My Chemical Romance and Fall Out Boy in a weird way that like if you if you were young like we were at the time when American Idiot came out you would have thought that American Idiot was the first Green Day album and you wouldn't have known that there was this very long and very storied history and that they had been a band for a really long time. I wouldn't have thought that because my grade six graduation song was Time of Your Life by Green Day so I was a little familiar with the the, the, the works of Green Day <laughs> And I had an older brother who liked music, so he was like, he was in. He thought like like Green Day was cool before American Idiot, but I wouldn't even know. I like knew about this album and I really liked songs on it, but I wouldn't say like this album. I knew about them before, and this album I don't think I even got that much into it. I wouldn't even say I had like a phase where I was like American Idiot is awesome until like maybe like three weeks ago. Wow, yeah. So <laughs> where I was with Panic at the Disco <laughs> until very recently, you were at with Green Day until very recently. Yeah, and I I like still only like kind of like consider like I Green Day is like one of those bands that like if I hear a song by them on the radio, I won't turn it off. But I never would have went out of my way to listen to them. They were like the Our Lady piece to me. <laughs> This is blowing my mind right now. As someone with a Green Day tattoo who loves Green Day so much, <laughs> I, I don't understand how anyone could not have like a total obsession and diehard love for this band. But I understand that is a unique position to have. Yeah. <laughs> so not everyone loves Green Day as much as I do, but I'm here now and I'm telling everyone how much I love Green Day and I couldn't be happier about it. Maybe like a part of that is because like as someone who's loved emo music, it's like, I always considered like punk music the enemy. I've never liked anything that was called punk or like pop punk. I like, it's like a four letter word was punk. I was like, punk sucks. I hate punk. <laughs> I, they're all evil and like wear dumb clothes and outfits. And see, <laughs> I was the opposite where I thought emo was the bad word. So anything associated with emo, I was very scared to touch. But even as someone who liked punk a lot as a preteen and teenager, I was embarrassed to like Green Day originally because I was 
like you, very snobby about music, even when I was, like, 12 years old. So I remember, like, liking the Ramones and liking the Clash and thinking I was better than everyone I knew because I was listening to, like, original punk bands from the 70s, and I was 12 years old, and I thought I was so cool. Um, And then, like, the other alternative kids who were in my class who were obviously listening to, like, more contemporary bands like Green Day... I remember talking to one of them, Stanley Choi, in my eighth grade, like, science class. He was like, oh, I like Billy Talent and Green Day. And I was like, mm, that seems dumb. And he was like, you should listen to Green Day. They're really good. And I was like, I don't know. I have to think about it. So then I, listen, then I listened to my stepdad's CD of American Idiot that he had. I, like, stole it. Brought it to my room and listened to it, and I was like, this fucking rips so hard. (laughs) I love Green Day. And then, because I was so scared of the internet when I was in high school, I didn't know how to download things, and I also, like, didn't want to pay money on iTunes to download things. I really wanted the physical objects. So any CD that I wanted, I would order online through this website called secondspin.com, which was, like, this used CD retailer based out of, like, Los Angeles, and you could get a (laughs) CD for, like, $5. So I would just go on sprees. They would always have these like weird discounts at the end of the month that's, that was like buy one CD, get one free or like $10 off if you spend $30 or more. So it's basically like nothing. So I like once every two months, I think I would buy like eight CDs and some promotion from secondspin.com. And I just remember buying every Green Day CD after that, yeah. including the first two, which nobody else has listened to. <laughs> I feel like a thing with like music at this time that like to get into it is uh, back then it would be like I committed 40 minutes to downloading this illegally on like rural Ontario internet. If I don't like this, I'm going to listen to it at least like 30 times until like I maybe do because I only get to choose like four songs a night to download. Yeah, I remember like buying CDs and CDs that were like way too advanced for me to have liked as like a 12, 13, 14 year old. Like I just remember, as you probably did, just like Googling like good albums or like good punk (laughs) albums and like just copying them and like not even looking up on YouTube, just ordering the CD directly being like, I need to listen to this. I need an appreciation for this. And, um, yeah, I just remember ordering stuff that was, like, way too advanced for me to like. Like, I ordered a bunch of raincoat CDs and, like, beat hatting CDs when I was, like, in the seventh grade. And, like, listening to Kraz. Oh, my God. It took me a long time to appreciate that musically. But, like, that was a weird thing for a 12-year-old to, like, want to listen to. Yeah. That's so funny and so sick. That's, like, me with, like, like the band, uh... Uh, Sunny Day Real Estate. Yeah. Like, like I downloaded Sunny Day Real Estate like early on and like listened to it and I was like, this is so boring and like, <laughs> like was a shame that I didn't like Sunny Day Real yeah. Estate and like would just be like, oh yeah, this is Sunny Day Real Estate all the time to like, and then be like, have like to eventually get into it like just like it's a band like there's bands that just require like effort and multiple listens to get into like they're just or time like or just yeah. like you have to be of a certain age to appreciate it more yeah or like even in like a certain mood to get into it like yeah. so, there's songs I will only like if I hear them for the first time while I'm like driving my car or like if I'm like in a zone of like I'm sitting down listening to new music or like if I hear it live I'll get into it but like the same songs if I heard them in a different scenario I probably wouldn't like them it's weird how songs work. <laughs> songs are weird. Yeah, and getting this is into a, songs. And this is a 10-minute long song. This song is so long. <laughs> yeah. It's the emo stairway to heaven. Is it emo? I have no idea. Maybe. Oh. It's lumped in with emo. I don't know if this is emo, but I feel like there is some overlap and also some not overlap. I would argue that there is some earlier Green Day work that could be quantified as emo rather than pop punk. Yeah, let's talk about that, because you just showed me some of these songs, like, just now. So, yeah. like, 
So, like, let's talk about, like, one of those early releases where I think Trey Cool wasn't on it, you were telling me. Yeah, so Trey Cool did not join the band until the early 90s. So Green Day formed in 1986. Wow. Yeah, so when they were 16, Billy Joe and Mike Durnt got together and... Uh, their original band name was Sweet Children, which is a very bad band name. Yeah. And then they changed it to Green Day, which was an even worse uh, band name, named after when you skip school to go smoke weed. So that's cool. Oh, wow. So that's cool that. that that's your band name. They have, like, admitted in interviews that they're like, it's so fucking stupid. We hate this band name, but it's stuck and it's the one. Um, but yeah, so John Kiefermeyer, who is credited as Alsa Bronte on the first two records, is the original drummer. Cool. And they kicked him out because Trey, like he was just, I don't know, classic drummer gets kicked out. They had Trey Cool and Trey Cool was touring with them and they liked Trey Cool more. Yeah, he was sense. cooler, if you will. <laughs> Three times cooler. <laughs> <laughs> so, so what what is the name of that first release that we listened to? It's like 1096? It's, it's 1039 Smoothed Out Sloppy Hours. Which is a wild title. Which is a wild title. And then the second album is called Kerplunk. And both of those were put out on Lookout Records, which was an independent punk label uh, based out of the Bay Area in San Francisco in the late 80s. That was run by Larry Livermore. I wonder, like, who they were playing. I don't have an answer for this, but, like, who they were playing shows with at this time. Because, like, Jawbreaker was also in the Bay Area. Like, okay, I can tell time. you if you want. Okay, yeah, yeah. What, what's the yeah, knowledge here? So Green Day came out of, like, that, that scene that was based around iconic punk club 924 Gilman Street. Yeah, yeah. So that was a club that was, like, a non-profit DIY art space that was founded, at least in part, by Tim Yohannan, who was the founder of the long-running punk zine Maximum Rock and Roll. So they started this DIY punk club. It's still around today. You can still go see a show for, like, $6. It's, like, very much like an anarchist DIY democratic space. Yeah, so they came out of that scene, and, like, just other bands who were around at the time were, like, Operation Ivy, who later became Rancid, um, The Offspring... Um, the Mr. T experience. Well, this has been like Screeching Weasel too. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I, I can kind of see it in my mind. It's just so weird to like have the juxtaposition of like that being your original scene and then your later scene being like my combo romance. You know, it's like no. Yeah, it's super interesting because yeah, as soon as Green Day made their first two early albums and then they made Dookie, which was such a commercial success, they signed to a major label over Prize Records. And they won a Grammy for that album, and it sold millions of copies. And they were basically, like, blacklisted by the DIY scene that they were a part of for not having supposedly DIY ethics anymore. They were kicked out for selling out. And they felt felt so rejected by the scene that they love so much. And it's very sad, but whatever. <laughs> Punk politics are bullshit. Yeah. Um, like, Who cares if Operation Ivy don't like you anymore? <laughs> yeah. But it's also, like, it's interesting because when you think about it, or just, like, if you know about Green Day at all, like, you know, like, they grew up poor. Like, why are you mad at them for making money doing music, which is what they love to do? Like, Billy Joe never finished high school. Yeah, I feel like that's, like, almost, like, a weird thing with, like, uh, emo music. Like, other than the exception I can think of was, like, Jawbreaker, the band. But, like, other than that, it's, like, when bands signed to major labels, it's, like, actually sick. And it's, like, hell yeah, this band's getting paid and gonna do so much cool stuff now or, like, tour way more. Like, yeah. it's, like... Like, definitely, like, hearing stories of, like, uh, a punk band that I did, like, was, like, against me, and when they signed to, like, a major, like, Fat Re- they signed to Fat Records, and people, like, flipped out, and yeah. Fat Records isn't even, like, a giant thing. Fat Records? Yeah. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> you, you, know, you know. It's different. <laughs> it's different. <laughs> Imagine it's a record label called Fat Records. 
Fat records. <laughs> but yeah, like they like signed this label and like people like slashed their tires because they signed it like Fat Rec, which is wild because it's like that's a cool label that did a bunch of cool albums and it was like but you'll hear about like uh hop along or something getting onto like a bigger label or like when like bands like sign to something like like bands leave saddle creek or something and go to a bigger label and it's like oh that's sick that's awesome like everyone's like kind of like sending like congratulatory tweets and stuff there's just sense of like commercial success being like sick (laughs) i think it i think this scene is very different to today i think punk politics of that time period were so rigid and the music industry is nothing like what it was before yeah so to actually have any commercial success now like as even an independent artist is such a rarity but it is something to be celebrated like if you can make a living off of making art like congratulations amazing good for you like you killed it (laughs) i guess to even say it's different now it's like um even jeff rosenstock is like not doing the same diy things he just it's just it's not it's unsustainable yeah Yeah. where like if it if it was like they would still be doing it. It's yeah. just like, we. if I tried to do that, I wouldn't be in a band anymore. Yeah, totally. Punk politics <laughs> are BS. Yeah, emo politics of the Emo day politics are one. also questionable. <laughs> yeah, they're very questionable. <laughs> but uh, more of them are put it forth in this anti-George Bush song <laughs> album, <laughs> American Idiot. Yeah, man. Yeah, George Bush. He's George the American Bush. Idiot. Yeah. But it is about George Bush, so it is political. <laughs> Yeah, it's weird to think of this as a political album. Like, before this, Green Day are not a political band at all. There are yeah. no no real songs about global politics before this album. Like, why I like Green Day so much is because so much early Green Day is about, like, the inner world and a lot of th- songs about just being anxious and paranoid and, like, crushed out on someone. And it's just, like, relatable. Don't Want to Be an American Idiot is just, like, very, like, it's not, like, George Bush is bad. It's like, this is about me reflecting on myself in terms of learning about this stuff. You know, it's like, it's very like self-obsessed in like a less punk politic way. Yeah. The politics of this album are questionable, I will say. I yeah. don't know if they Atlanta's t- pro-George Bush. Very pro-George no, Bush. No, no. Off, no, <laughs> take that off the record. Absolutely not. <laughs> I hate this. But I do want to say, like, I don't know how much the politics of this album still, hand up, still hold up today. I think maybe, maybe not. I don't know. Green Day are weird politically. I think if you try to dissect any band's politics based on their song lyrics, like... It's not going to actually go very far. You, like, you kind of have to look at what the band do as people. Yeah. I like this thing happened to me. So I drive in a work car, the work car, drive, car I drive for work, it has Sirius satellite radio and it has the station that's like 2000, like, like it's like just 2001, 2010, just songs from that era. And it always plays Holiday by Green Day. And there's one very questionable <laughs> lyric where like, where like Billy Joe Armstrong tries to like, use the voice of like a bigot and just let's like kill all the <laughs> that don't agree and it's just like and all of us just driving to that song in like my work car with the windows rolled down and that like song was blasting at like the red light and someone just looked over when it said it and i was like oh no it's like very embarrassing moment for me yeah <laughs> yeah i'm yeah. not i'm not a fan of when when people like lyrically just take the voice of someone else and just say terrible things it's like you know you're still saying it yeah it doesn't always work yeah. <laughs> it's sometimes it's actually not good to just repeat the slur that a person is using yeah <laughs> sometimes it's bad actually yeah i'm not for it i'm against it because then i have to listen to it and i have to and then i seem like a bigot <laughs> yeah thanks a lot green day <laughs> 
Okay, so Dookie was a major commercial success. Green Day won a Grammy, and they were ousted by their Bay Area scene of the time. In response, they wrote the song 86 about how they'd been 86 from their original scene. Wow. Oh. It's kind of like Jawbreaker writing Boxcar. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. <laughs> That's a sick song. Sick reference, Greg. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Um, and after they made Dookie, they made Insomniac, which is personally my favorite Green Day album, and an album that I will argue is actually an emo album okay i think it's a con it's their first concept record in my opinion it's a concept record about having anxiety okay. and if you listen to that with that in mind you'll hear it what, what are some of the songs off insomniac for, um, for the people listening for the people at home Stuart in the avenue geek stink breath uh jaded is there any, was there any of the hits, like a song? Those are hits. Okay, I don't know any of those <laughs> songs. Well, you haven't listened to Green Day a lot. That's true. That is true. Yeah, so Insomniac is extremely good. You should, everyone should listen to it. Um, they went on hiatus for a little while after that, and then in 1997, they made the album Nimrod, which has Time of Your Life, Good Riddance on it, played at high school graduations everywhere, and middle school graduations apparently as well. Grade six. <laughs> and if you take guitar lessons, you'll be forced to learn to play this song, or you will naturally want to learn how to play it, because it's cool to pull out at parties when you're 12. Time <laughs> <laughs> um, of like, your, your life at a party. Yeah, man. You Have imagine? you done that recently? Not recently, but like I've definitely done it in the past. That's so funny. I definitely so also, for the record, have played Wonderwall at parties. Just like, been like, yep, here we go. Like as an adult? <laughs> no, as like okay. a teenager. Okay. <laughs> but like it has happened. It's a yeah. meme for a reason. Let's say define teenager here, like seventeen. Yeah. Okay, like, that's up, sick. Up, that's in, up until I would say you're a teenager from twelve to seventeen. Okay. And then you're kind of, like, still a teenager, but a little bit more of a grown-up when you're 18, 19. And then you're full-on in your 20s when you turn 20. <laughs> yeah, and That's then, how aging works. And then when you're 28, you're an adult. Or 32. It's <laughs> stuff for debate. When you're 40, you're a grown-up. Yeah. <laughs> when you get to be Green Day's age so that they recorded American Idiot, that's when you know you're a grown-up. Yeah, when you have to be told to look less old. <laughs> yep. <laughs> So they made Nimrod, which is not a good album, I don't think. <laughs> and then it, three more years later, in 2000, they recorded Warning, which is an absolutely atrocious album. And I remembered liking that album. That's totally an album that I ordered from SecondSpin.com, being like, I love Green Day so much, can't wait to hear this album called Warning. I put it on, like, I remember listening to it and liking it at the time. I only revisited it recently, and it's straight up bad. It's not good. The songwriting's weak. It's just not good. There's the song, the song Minority is on that, and that has not aged politically well at <laughs> no, all. It's extremely all. bad. Three white men singing that they want to be a minority is very awful. It's not good. Yeah. <laughs> I don't even understand that song. Like the <laughs> I know. No, it's like the part of the punk politics where it's like, oh, because I'm an underdog, I too am oppressed. And it's actually like, that's not how that works at yeah. all actually it's like you could so easily write a very sick punk song about like just coming from like a poor background and like financial insecurity and be like you are oppressed that way and it's different but it's like to say i want to be a minority is just such a weird way to approach it and to also say like i'm oppressed because i'm a punk is like not real <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's so bad um, so Warning is actively bad. It's not good. I thought it held up, but it really doesn't. The song Waiting kind of rips. The song Waiting does rip, and I think there's a few other that 
that I do enjoy. Blood, Sex, and Booze is another good one off of the album. I do like Church on Sunday. This is me saying embarrassing things about very obscure Green Day songs that I will admit <laughs> to liking. Um, but they made Warning, and it was a commercial flop. Everyone was like, Green Day are done. This album didn't sell very well. I think they went on hiatus. They all had children at this point. They're in their early 30s. And so basically, it, around 2002, 2003... They started recording again to have their next album, and it was tentatively called Cigarettes and Valentines, which is... Which is way better. Which is so good. So good. So emo. That name is still available, then, if they didn't use it. Oh, I might use that, then. Yeah, we're actually (laughs) registering the Bandcamp and email address right now, so it's like, this is ours unless you pay a lot for it. It's been taken. Yeah, we've done this. So they recorded 20 songs for Cigarettes and Valentines, and then the tapes got stolen from the studio, mysteriously. They just had no idea where the tapes went, someone took them. And instead of trying to re-record, they were like, yeah, actually what we wrote wasn't very good, we might as well start from scratch. And then they recorded American Idiot. Okay, here's a conspiracy theory. What if they knew it was bad and they needed more time from the studio, so they destroyed them themselves? That's also sick. We'll accept that theory. <laughs> This is a conspiracy theory that is true, absolutely true, and I j- just thought of, because it, it makes sense. Because these, th- it's never surfaced, like, there's no, like... No, you can't look them up. Like, like if, like, a super fan found this, they could have sold this for, like, a lot of money at this point. Yeah. And supports the conspiracy. I think Billy Joe Armstrong threw them into a river. Yeah. <laughs> and said they were stolen. This is a conspiracy theory that's entirely true. <laughs> this is a myth. Okay, but yeah, then they made American Idiot. In 2004. And it's just like, what? I can't... The thing that I've been thinking about for like the past three weeks since we said that we were going to do this episode, which is I can't think of another band that has this kind of crazy comeback story like Green Day have. Yeah. They've been a band since 1986 and then probably put out their biggest album ever in 2004. Yeah, it's weird because like... I feel like there's a 50-50 split, like, almost even if you ask, like, Green Day fans if it was, like, Dookie or American Idiot, that's the favorite, you know? Like, there's, like, like two factions of Green Day fans. Yeah, and I think it's interesting because if you look sales-wise, Dookie has still sold more, but American Idiot was just at the brink of, like, the digital age. So, like, how many times has American Idiot been pirated? Yeah. It has to be way more than Dookie. Yeah, definitely. Like, just thinking in terms of, like, illegal downloads alone and, like, (laughs) getting this album on a burnt CD, like, from your friend. We'll try and find out which one has more, like, cedars on the internet, (laughs) on the torrents. We'll get our online people on it, which we have. (laughs) Yeah, so American Idiot came out. Amazing. Um... And then Green Day kind of goes downhill from there. We don't have to talk about... I. It's very I, sad. As a Green Day fan, I don't consider anything after 21st Century Breakdown to be canon. Yeah, it's part <laughs> of the extended Green Day universe, it's but part, not part of the canon. It's not part of the canon. I feel like... But I think that's just what happens if you're a band for so long, is that you have this enormous body of work. And the thing about Green Day, too, is that they're extremely inconsistent as a band. Like, some albums are really good, and some albums are really, really bad. And that's coming from someone who has a Green Day tattoo. Yeah. So, like, that is the truth. But I feel like now, what Green Day are doing, I haven't even listened to the new stuff, but, like, I think what they're doing now is, like, equivalent to, like, what the Ramones were doing in the 90s, which was just, like, churning out garbage. (laughs) Just, like, because they had to tour. Because they have to, because that's how they make their living. So that's how I feel now. But maybe we'll be proven wrong in five years when we get, like... 
another comeback album from Green Day. Or when someone tells us that, like, actually, like, Dose was actually really good. <laughs> Dose was actually really good, but no one listened to it. it. That would be so funny. That's a conspiracy theory, too, because no I'm, one's actually going to check that, if that's true. So I've tried to that. listen to those albums, and, like, it's... It's impossible. Like, so bad. What are they... What does what even the sound No, like? I can't no, even can't tell even. you. I've, like, I repressed it as soon as I heard it. I was like, no! I was like... When those albums came out, I was a big, like... Uh, I was on this, like, forum called, like, punknews.org. I was, like, heavy into it. Oh, and, I'm aware of punknews.org. <laughs> yeah. And, I, and th- 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 that was the place where those albums got slammed so yeah, hard. Of course. They're awful. They're, They're really so bad. bad. And nothing can hurt you like something you have loved, <laughs> which makes it worse because bands put out bad albums all the time. Yeah. But they don't also just put out like they did, like most terrible albums don't come after writing Dookie, you know? <laughs> yeah. No, it's very sad. Whatever. Like they're doing other stuff. They have a bunch of other businesses. They just started like a, their own coffee roastery, their own organic like coffee roastery. So that's cool. Is it? <laughs> I don't know. It's 2018. It's very hard. It's yeah, hard to be a musician. Cool. I don't know what's cool. <laughs> but uh, Billy Joe Armstrong has a son who has a band. Yeah, Billy Joe Armstrong has two sons. Two One of sons. his sons is in a band called Emily's Army. Yikes. And they play at 924 Gilman, which is so cool. Yeah, that is sick. 924 Gilman, since you brought it up, I remember like watching so many like YouTube videos of like like iconic punk performances, like like fucked up or like Deaf Heaven or stuff like that. Like yeah. not that those two bands are like <laughs> what I would call punk, but like they're bands that I listen to that yeah. are kind of bands that you them. consider to be punk. Yeah, I'm like, what's a punk band? It's like Deaf Heaven. Fucked up. Deaf Heaven. <laughs> yeah. Man, you do like emo more. <laughs> I don't know how things work. I don't know how genres work. So about this album specifically, um, this is a punk rock opera, Green Day's first concept record, according to canon. <laughs> um, but Billy Joe has been has said in interviews that he has had the idea of a concept album kicking around for a long time, like starring these characters. It dates back as far as 1995. Wow. Very interesting. Um, however, for an opera, I will say that this album is extremely light in terms of actual narrative. I've listened to this album for over 10 years, and I still can't tell you, like, what the plot points are, or, like, who, who the characters' names are. Like, only in researching for this episode did I figure out that, like, St. Jimmy wasn't the main character. Jesus of Suburbia is the main character, and then St. Jimmy is Jesus of Suburbia's alter ego character. Oh god. That's which so- I had no idea of, and I've listened to this album so many times for such an extended period of time. <laughs> Cause like, how does the song like American Idiot fit into the concept? Like I think that's like I think American Idiot is the first song, it's like theme. It's like okay. the theme song for the album. I don't know if you knew about this, but there was a scandal when American Idiot the song came out. Because of the start of it sounds a lot like uh, I think the song is Double Whiskey Coconut Ice by Dillinger 4. Yeah. And it's the like exact same opening. Yeah, no, I know about this scandal. Green Day have been uh, like snided in the past for ripping off Boston's 9 to 5. So American Idiot follows the story of Jesus of Suburbia, a lower middle class American adolescent anti-hero. Through its plot, the album expresses the disillusionment and the descent of a generation that came of age in a period shaped by many tumultuous events, like the Iraq War. Okay. <laughs> yeah. That, that checks out. Um, but other characters include What's-Her-Name, and she is the female lead in this uh, punk rock opera. <laughs> 
I will say, too, that aesthetically, this is a big image change for the band. They all were forced to lose weight by going on the Zone Diet, and they started dressing Wait, what only kind of, black. Wait, what kind of diet? The Zone Diet. What's this? You get, like, Zone meals, like, delivered to you. What's a just, Zone meal? Like, it's a just brand? Like, it was, like, a trendy diet at the time, oh, okay. like, Atkins or something. But yeah, their manager said that they're all, like, too chubby and, like, forced them to lose weight, which is so sad. But they, yeah, started dressing in only black and red ties and, like, discovered eyeliner, discovered what eyeliner can do for so many different people, and they, they just got on board. Yeah, eyeliner takes 10 years off you, which is what they needed. <laughs> eyeliner takes 10 years to master. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they have people for it. They were they, big enough. Yeah. Yeah, and so this album won the 2005 Granny for best rock album and it was later turned into an actual stage musical i remember that when uh like probably for a solid year i was different from you in that in the fact that i was extremely not online as a teenager like i was very much scared of the internet my mom kind of drilled in me to like be very afraid of the internet don't trust the internet etc which is why i only had facebook in like first year university which is like not that long ago actually um and why i'm still like kind of afraid of the internet is just because of my mom telling me to be afraid of the internet so that no one would like hurt me but people in real life didn't work out didn't work out still got hurt um Anyways, so in grade nine, every day after school, I was not online at all, but every day after school, I would go on the Green Day fan website from 3 until 3.30 and just read whatever Wait, new... 3 until 3.30? Like yeah, 12... like right after school. Oh, for a half hour. I yeah. thought you were saying like 12 and a half hours. No. I was like, oh my god. <laughs> no. That's a long time to be on the Green Day website. Yeah, that'd be a long time. But for every, every day for one half hour from 3 until 3.30, I'd be like on my family's laptop, like in our living room room just like looking at the green day fan website just scoping out any new year any new news and at this point like i got into them when i was in the eighth grade so this is 2008 they had just put out 21st century breakdown so most of the news on the green day fan website was just like american idiots being adapted into a stage musical you can only go see in new york city and me being 14 i was like well i can't go see that but i guess i'll just read so much about it (laughs) i'll read everyone what everyone in the entire world has had to say about it i'll read so much about this and then funny story one night at swizzle's karaoke bar (laughs) okay yes um i sang a green day song and then a man came up to me afterwards and he was like i have to buy you a drink because i just got back from seeing the american idiot musical and i told my friends that if anyone sang a green day song i'd buy them a drink and i was like this is sick and then like three other people sang green day songs so that guy like picked a bad night to make that bet he was buying drinks for everyone yeah because i remember that night because it was donald trump's inauguration and everyone was singing like political karaoke songs at the karaoke bar did you do car- american idiot at karaoke no but I saw a middle-aged man do American Idiot and then butcher it so bad. Like, it sounded like he had never even heard the song before. Like, he was just kind of like... He was just doing it to get a free drink. He was doing, like, his own cadence. It was so bizarre. <laughs> it was extremely strange. Um, anyways, this album is supposed to... Wait, wait, wait. <laughs> you can't walk away without telling us what song you did at karaoke. I forget what song I did. It's the song that they ripped off Boston's 9 to 5, but I always forget what it's called. Wow. Okay, we have to look it up. Yeah, pause. Can you Google Insomniac? Oh, yeah, I sang Brains too. 
I always forget what Brains 2 is called. And now to dive into what is actually juicy and what we're actually doing this podcast episode about. Jesus of Suburbia. Yeah, and the fact that the song you sang at karaoke was Brains 2. Yeah, we, we should just pause. Well, now that we're back, that's the song. But we're here. Jesus of Suburbia. Um, we're now going to talk about all 11 minutes of it. It's so long. I feel like we can't talk about it without like... Like usually on this podcast we talk about like the music video separate. But I feel like they're like one and the same. They're enmeshed in each other. Like I think my first... Mem- like my first memory of like what I can remember Green Day in my mind and this song to be in my mind is like watching this music video on Much Music and I always remembered it because the parental advisory would come before would play so I'd always be like ooh I'm doing something bad I hope my mom doesn't walk in because the video is like kind of explicit there, there's some sex uh, the Jesus of Suburbia character calls the what's her name character a walking pair of tits which is great um, I think it's bad but it's, it's no it's bad <laughs> <laughs> for the record that's not good <laughs> for the record that's really bad um, so, so like let's basically try and like put down what happens in this music video so, okay. so basically it starts with like a, open. It open scene open scene open so <laughs> So, scene open, uh, a gang of punks are underneath a bridge. Some of them are, like, around a fire. Everyone looks like, like, the video looks like they've all been outfitted for free by Hot Topic. Everyone has, like, corsets and, like, wigs and, like, big boots and stuff. That look like a Shaggy Doo from SLC Punk. <laughs> yes, yes. It's very SLC Punk aesthetic. So, open, gang of punks underneath a bridge. Scene. A scene. <laughs> so, the Jesus of Suburbia character and the What's-Her-Name character talk to each other for like two minutes and he basically just like insults her and then kisses her in like this gross creepy way. Did he like spit on her too? Yeah I think he spits on her at one point and it's bad but then the song starts and I think it's like the monologue is that they like break up or something I don't know there's no narrative so it's extremely yeah. unclear. Yeah um, she, she was only a, a pair of tits. Oh uh, we can't keep saying that. <laughs> <laughs> we can't keep repeating that apparently you're not supposed to repeat slurs. <laughs> yeah it's not good. You're gonna be listening to this podcast somewhere like driving around listening to the podcast and you're gonna be great going oh walking pair of tits <laughs> yeah and then then you're gonna know what i went through and know that you're then you're all gonna be on my side but not repeating things that are bad scene again video opens music starts uh i think the jesus of suburbia character is like alone at some points he's in a convenience store at some points he's in his home he destroys a 7-eleven yeah and that's a nod to a video by smashing pumpkins for 1979 Wow, I did yeah. not know that. Yeah, so music video, meta music video. <laughs> There's too much happening here. So he destroys his convenience store. Uh, I think in his mind he has sex with the what's-her-name character again. They're on a bed and there's like a British flag behind them and it's all very punk. Very um, punk. Then he's at his home and he insults his mother. He calls his mother a loser and then she says, well, that makes you a son of a loser. And then he like throws a cigarette at her or something. It's very punk. Very uh, punk. <laughs> so angsty. It's really punk to throw a cigarette at your mom. Yeah, she looks like she's trying her best. <laughs> she only gave you life. Yeah. Uh, he destroys a convenience store bathroom with like his blood. He like writes stuff on the walls. It's like kind of gross. And he, like, walks off into the sunset, and I think that's where the Boulevard of Broken Dreams uh, video <laughs> picks up. But this was the fifth and final sit- single off of the album. Yeah, this is the most wild thing in the entire world is that this existed as a single. Like, you'd just come home from, like, school, and it was like, this song came on, you'd, like, top 30 video countdown, it'd be like, 29, Usher, Confessions Part 2, 
Sick. Next one. 11 minute video. And they played the whole thing. They played like, the whole thing. They didn't even play the short. They have a short version and they didn't play it. No, they always played the super long version with the parental advisory in front of it. Shout out to Much Music. Much Music Video Countdown. Much Music. R.I.P. Well, yeah. it still exists. <laughs> <laughs> no, not, not the same. Not the same. Yeah, so Green Day, like they had never written a 10 minute song before this point. And it's interesting because the first 10 minute song that they wrote was actually one that comes later on the album a song called homecoming that is also split into five parts basically when they were recording this album they were very much uh like told by their producer rob cavallo to experiment with writing shorter songs and to see if they could put them together in an interesting way and it was like competitive to see who could write the best song so in homecoming like billy joe has his parts mike Durton has his parts and then trey cool has his part and it's uh it was kind of them trying to outdo each other so they wrote Homecoming first, and then they're like, oh, we like this idea of having many songs within a song that, like, kind of tell a story or have an arc to it. And then they wrote Jesus of Suburbia, which yeah. is like, what the fuck? Get out of here. Get out of here. It's so good. It's like, I love this song. I, th- I think we should talk about, like, musically the, like, like different parts of it. Because, like, they're actually, like, quite different from each yeah. other, right? Like, like the one I was talking about, like, there's this part three, which I, I wanted to start with, is uh, basically he says if i don't care if you don't care 300 400 maybe 500 times it's really punk to not care and to repeat the fact that you don't care he cares so little but it seems like he actually cares a lot mm, the true crux of punk. <laughs> i think i think not caring is 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 punk and caring a lot is emo but i think that he actually cares a lot here i think there's some caring so green dare emo some underlying caring here yeah so i don't care is basically like a punk song within this punk song shouty kind of like call out part like uh the verse right after that he was like <laughs> Born and raised by hypocrites. <laughs> it's like it's like so like preachy and sick. It's, it's like so rage preachy. against the machine. Yeah, it's basically rage against the machine. Yeah, from Anaheim to the Middle East. <laughs> I think that's my least favorite lyric. We are the kids of war and peace from Anaheim to the Middle East. <laughs> it's so bad. I will say like I love Green Day so much, and I do think that Billy Joel Armstrong is a very talented songwriter. But he's not the type of songwriter who has like turns of phrase lyrically that inspire you like yeah. if anything there are turns of phrase that like make you prone to revulsion and you're just like why did you write that yeah but like then there's like parts of it where i'm like this is very sick like when you like like the i wrote the gra- graffiti in the bathroom stall like i don't even know if like the lyrics are sick but like the vocal melody is so perfect it's so good yeah say what you want about green day but musically they like know their references they are such tight musicians they had been musicians for 20 years at this point if not more like Billy Joe Armstrong, little known fact, actually put out a single when he was five years old called Look for Love. Wow. Yeah. So he was like always, always trained to be a showman. So like music, music was in his blood. He's like does these things that like uh, Weezer would have turn of phrases like um, the like uh, the land of make believe and they don't believe in me. You're like, how did no one write that before? You know, like when you first hear it, you're like, this must have been from something before, and it's not. It's like I feel like Green Day and like Weezer also had that. It was like, how did how did they do this first? It somehow seems so cliche, and yet it's not a cliche yet because <laughs> yeah. they were the first people to do it. Yeah, like creating a cliche, a lyrical cliche in like the mid two thousands is wild. <laughs> do you do you have a favorite part of this song? Um, I honestly think the first part is my favorite part. Yeah. I think that part is just called Jesus of Suburbia. Yeah, it does open very hard. I, the intro is just so iconic. I am the son of rage and love, the Jesus of 
suburbia. And I feel like it's so resonant in why this, why this album was as popular as it was, especially with like 14 year olds. I, I feel like if I was going to pick like what the most emo part of this one would be like the dearly beloved, are you lit? Like that's, yeah. that part's so sick. It's so good. Oh my god, this whole this whole song is sick. This whole song rips so hard. An interesting thing, I mentioned in a in another podcast that I learned to play guitar because of Green Day, but specifically I learned to play guitar because of Jesus of Suburbia. Wow. So on the so- tw- uh, like when I was this age, 14, in in the 8th grade, my dad was like, "Oh, Green Day are coming. Like, you like that band? Do you want to go for your birthday?" And I was like, hell yeah, dad, I do. My dad and I went to go see Green Day like a day after I turned 14 at Scotiabank Place in Ottawa. Uh, super bad nosebleed seats. The Canadian um, Tire Center. <laughs> Canadian Tire Center now. And on this tour, on the 21st Century Breakdown tour, Green Day would do this thing that for every time they played Jesus of Suburbia, they would get a member of the audience to come up and play guitar during it. So the thing was, you had to say like, Billy Joe Armstrong would go, does anybody know, does anyone play guitar? And everyone would scream. And then you go, what key is Jesus of Suburbia in? And if you could name what key Jesus of Suburbia was in, and they, he like picked you, you could go on stage and play Jesus of Suburbia with Green Day. So me, I was like, I gotta learn how to play this song right now, because Billy Joe Armstrong is obviously gonna pick me in the nosebleed seats so far away. Obviously, I'm gonna get chosen. I need to learn this. And I think I only learned the beginning part, because like, it's really hard in a 10 minute long song. <laughs> <laughs> it's not a good first song <laughs> it's not a good first song but like i learned to play guitar because of this song and that's cool it's weird for me to think about green day and just like it's weird for green day to be one of my favorite bands and to just think about the fact of like how much influence they've had on my life not only musically but in terms of like what i'm able to do technically like i can play guitar because i wanted to sound like this band and like that's a cool thing you you just wanted to play Jesus of Suburbia in, in the Canadian Tire Center. That's all I wanted to do. It didn't happen. That's it okay. It might still happen. Oh, it might still happen. I will say Rocks another... <laughs> a very funny thing from this anecdote from this concert as well. My dad is very, very Catholic. On this record, on 21st Century Breakdown, Green Day have a song called East Jesus Nowhere. And during that part of the concert, they do like a fake baptism slash exorcism on a member of the crowd. And it's like a very anti-Catholic, anti-religion song. Um, and I just remember, like, before they played that song, Billy Joe Armstrong just goes, like, are there any Christians in the house? And my dad just goes, woo! And everyone goes, boo! (laughs) And I was just, like, so mortified. Oh, no. (laughs) That's so sick. (laughs) And I think about that every day. Oh, no. How do you get past that as a, as a, (laughs) as a dad-daughter combo? I don't know. Never did. Never Never did, honestly. (laughs) Never the same again. So that happened. Sick concert. They played She, which is like one of my favorite Green Day songs. They played stuff off Kerplunk, which is great. Uh, they were there for the crowd. They did it for the people. They were, they were, say what you want about Green Day, but Green Day know how to play the hits. Yeah. In a way that other bands do not. I, I think we should also talk about the, uh, the aesthetic of Green Day at this time and how it was different from, because, uh, we were talking about like how, uh, I think I proposed this earlier. I was like, 
they look emo on this album more than anything else because of like the eyeliner and all the black and then i'm like we just watched the video like an early one for i think it was uh when i come around when i come around and i was like wow billy joe looks the most emo like the most emo person i've ever seen he's just wearing like a brown sweater with like some triangles on it (laughs) yeah he looks like weezer yeah and it's like just such like a classic emo look that it's like and like hearing some of their early songs it was like to be able to like i came into this podcast like even like yesterday being like they had one emo album and it was american idiot and i was like no like they were like part of this scene that like they would have known about these early emo bands and it was like billy joe armstrong definitely had like the look of like like blake schwarzenbeck of or like uh he, he looked like an emo musician, right? even though the other two really didn't. They yeah. looked very funk. So so it's hard to say. It's like, they definitely had like the early emo look and then eventually grew into like the... The later emo look as well. Yeah. Get you a man who can do both. Get you a man who can do both. You need to look like Rivers Cuomo's and also Gerard Way. You know, you got to adapt. It's an ever-changing, ever-changing music scene. That's River- why Weezer didn't put out a killer album in 2006. Uh, Rivers Cuomo in the streets, Gerard Way in the sheets. <laughs> Thanks, I hate it. In addition to hearing from my friend Stanley in eighth grade science class that Green Day was really cool and seeing this video on Much Music and wanting to watch it just because it had a parental advisory before it. I remember like feeling validated for the first time that like I had interesting taste in music because of Green Day. So I took the bus to school and on the bus obviously you're with people of different grades and on the bus I would listen to my iPod because I didn't want to talk to anyone. So I would just listen to music on my iPod and one day this kid who was a grade older than me, Matthew Pfeffer, who was like a cool guy Wow. I was like, what music are you listening to? Or like, can I look through your iPod to see what music is on your iPod? Do you remember that being a thing of like yeah. getting to know someone? It's like you would like look through their iPod and like judge if they were cool or not by like what music they had. Yeah. So ridiculous and like so, so middle school. I actually had a, uh, like a person I don't really know that well was like, we I like went to the beach with a bunch of friends and they like asked to charge their phone in my car and it's like the way it works in the 2015 Dodge journey. Um, when you plug your phone in, it automatically connects to the computer to the thing so I have full control over the phone like while I'm driving and I was able to look through this person's phone who I didn't really know and it was such a weird experience because it reminded me of like being a kid and I was like sick you have because I got high by Afro man on your phone and you don't know that I'm looking through this and that's so funny and so sick (laughs) so good yeah it was so pure and they were so embarrassed when they found out and I was like no don't be insane (laughs) don't be I love that song yeah (laughs) yeah anyways Matt Pfeffer wanted to look through my iPod and I was like amazing great do it please Matt (laughs) and he was like oh you have American Idiot by Green Day like that's really that's really cool that's really impressive that you would have that and then he was like I listened to this album before going to bed every night for a year I'm just like what (laughs) (laughs) he's like yeah I like would listen to it like on my Walkman every night before going to bed I love it so much it's so good and he's just like it's really cool that you like this too and it's a very early moment of me like being like oh I'm I'm validated in someone else's eyes because I also like this thing musically that means a lot to them uh a thing i want to circle back on is uh the the making things on the bus like the ipod on the bus yeah at my mom's house right now so i would have a i had a cd walkman all through high school i didn't like have an ipod until like grade 12 and i lit i would make my mom buy me blank cds all the time and i would make them like almost every single day 
So it would be like, I would make a mix CD and I'd be like, listen to it on like my way to school because I had a 30 minute commute on my bus to get to school. Like, so it was an hour every day. So I'd listen to a full CD and I'd be like, I didn't like the track order on this. Or I'd like cut a song and I'd be like, I would have like, I have like nearly identical CDs. I'd like make one and then change the track listing slightly or add or take one song out and then like burn another CD. So there's just like giant shoeboxes just filled with blank CDs that just say like, like, like have like, just like mix one on it. And they all like, are like, don't even get higher. <laughs> like I have like three, like two hundred discs that just say like Greg mix number one on it, or like Greg mix number two, and they're all just like so scratched up and so bad, and like such a terrible mix of music. This is incredible. Yeah, we'll pull. I'm gonna pull some of those out of the stacks. Amazing. Them, I'll I'll put them on a Spotify playlist, and the Patreon subscribers can look at them. <laughs> Patreon only. This is exclusive. What is the worst lyric in this song? Um. So. I want to steal your thunder here and say that just first off, one of the best lyrics in the song is uh, when the mums and brads are away, because that is so funny and bad and so sick. I don't know if it's actually good there, but I know that I love it. I love it so much. The mums and brads. It's so like simple. Oh, that's my good night alarm. Good night. Go to, go to, <laughs> I have to go to bed now. Wow. Even on your day, even on your weekend? Yeah, even man. on your weekend, it's 930. You got to keep a routine. But uh, yeah, I think the mums and brads line is is amazing. I hate that line. I think it's so corny. I think the worst line for me is that I don't care if you don't care. I don't care that you don't care. And it's, it goes on for so long. And I, think it's I so like good. that part. It's sick. It's so <laughs> punk. I'm so here for it. I'm like, yeah, this is like the clash or something. It's so a- sick that they, they don't, don't care. care. Cool. I don't care either. I'm eight years old. <laughs> I'm so pro caring. <laughs> um, to me, I really hate like the holy scriptures of a shopping mall. And also, lost children with dirty faces. Today. Today. <laughs> That's how he says it in the song. It's really bad. I think, yeah, as I said before, Billy Joe Armstrong can sometimes write good lyrics, but sometimes write bad lyrics. It's almost weird because, like, he'll have, like, good paragraphs that are not made of a single good line. Like, the, read the graffiti in the bathroom stall. Like, that whole verse is cool, but, like, every line in it isn't cool. Every line is not cool. It's, but it's, like, it's, as a verse. It's think, the sum of its parts. <laughs> yeah, it's almost like he just gets away with bad lyrics by having, like, in wildly good vocal melodies. Like, the vocal melodies on this whole song are awesome. I think that is the secret of Green Day. Yeah, it's a secret of good lyrics. It's the trick. trick. So, so what do you think is the most embarrassing song on American Idiot? Well, first I thought it was Boulevard of Broken Dreams because that song is obviously embarrassing. Although it does kind of rip, I will admit. Um, it is very embarrassing, and every time I hear that song, all I can think of is Dwight in the office doing karaoke at the office Christmas party to this song, and, like, everyone making fun of him for it. But now that I think about it, I think Waking Me Up with When September Ends is kind of embarrassing, too. My mom still loves that song. It's a good song, but it's, like, so... I'm gonna... So omnipresent in the culture that it's kind of embarrassing. It's like a meme song. It's a meme song. It's become a meme. But not in a cool way. No. You know, like, I read Sins Not Tragedies became, like, a meme song, but it's like, oh, it's like, I'm gonna listen to that song, it's funny. There's nothing funny about Wake Me Up on September End, so making it a meme just, like, devalues it so much. Yeah, nothing's funny about this song, like, about veterans of the (laughs) Iraq War. Like, nothing is funny about it, and then it's, like, a meme. It's very strange. Yeah. I I actually think the most embarrassing song on this album is uh, American Idiot. Yeah. And, like, it's just so, like... It's just over the top and, like, so, like, political from... It doesn't need to be, really. It's just... 
Oh, I don't like that song at all. Yeah, I remember at my grade six graduation dance. They didn't play American Idiot, but they did play Canadian Idiot, the Weird Al parody version of American Idiot. And everyone just like, even to the parody song, everyone like lost their minds. Like we all acted like we were dancing to Green Day. That's the worst thing I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> yeah, probably. Your graduation played Weird Al? Yeah. A deep cut. A Weird Al deep cut. A Weird Al deep cut. That was a parody of a Green Day song. That's so bad and so sick. Yeah, I remember they let, like, some grade six boys DJ and they, like, only played Weird Al songs. It was really bad. That's... (laughs) Some people had such different childhoods than I did. Imagine being like, oh yeah, when I was in grade six, I DJed the graduation and played a bunch of Weird Al. Where have you gone? Like, where? what road has life taken you down if that was what you did? Where are they now? (laughs) I could look it up. Yeah, they're I probably don't want like, to. My, my guess is like weird, like. They probably work at Shopify. <laughs> yeah, they work. No, they're like weird history teachers who like love Monty Python. <laughs> I don't think so. No. <laughs> no. Oh, Shopify, Shopify bros. I think they're Shopify normies. Sick. Is that, that's it. That's it. So, so I think we've made it to the end of the podcast. That's uh, way more than you would ever want to know about Jesus of Suburbia. That's so much about Jesus of Suburbia. Uh, you're welcome and also sorry. Yeah, so so uh, we're on Twitter at IDOTG Podcast. And uh, you can find us on SoundCloud or iTunes, Stitcher, all those kinds of things. And if you're on iTunes, do the write a little review because uh, apparently it's good and it makes people find out about the podcast. So uh, thanks for Alana for coming on. Well, my pleasure, and as they say, I am the son of rage and love. Okay, bye.